Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. When looking at the world that is around us and examining the complexities of the earth that we are a part of, it's very difficult to say that there is not a God, just because the evidence is overwhelming that given the complexities of what we see, the design that is clearly apparent in all things that are alive, there must have been a designer. And when people recognize this, the next conclusion is to say that there must be a God. And if there is a God, then the next thing that we have to confess and admit is that we don't know this God, that we have no connectivity with this God, that we don't even know if this God knows us. There is an emptiness that immediately begins to show itself when we discover that there is a God, because through the discovery that there is one, and in discovering the evidence that shows that there quite likely is one, through this discovery, then by default we must also acknowledge that we don't know who he is. And so when this reality begins to set in many people's lives, when, when people acknowledge this reality, that they probably don't know who this God might be, then if they are going to take that seriously, then it is natural for them to try to pursue some way in which they can be restored to this God, or they can be connected with this God, or find some way to have some relationship with this God of some kind, find out who he is and perhaps what he thinks about the world that he has created and the condition that it's in. And so when this happens, then it is at this time that people will often go to a church or they will go to a priest, or if there isn't a priest at their disposal, then they'll find somebody who they can set up as a priest. And throughout the course of history, many cultures have done that. People have set up priests, they have elected other people to be priests, and their role in the culture then becomes a role of finding a way to establish some connectivity between the people and their God. That the priest then functions as a representative of the people before their God. And these priests can either be man-made, made by other men, made by other people who just decide that somebody is going to fulfill that role, or they could be a self-made priest, they could be a person who decides to just simply meet the needs that they see around them by declaring that they are priests and that they have some special access to God in some way, in some capacity. And so because of that, this priest should perhaps be hired by the people to provide this service for them, and they often call what they do services in order to emphasize the fact that they are performing a service for which they should receive compensation for. And what this normally entails is some form of an altar through which people can present sacrifices or offerings or gifts of some kind in order to get God's attention. And these sacrifices or offerings are 
also used by the priests in order to sustain themselves and sustain their operations, to be able to continue to represent the people before God or the God before the people. Either way, that becomes the existence of a priest. The Levitical priesthood was quite unique because the Lord our God, the true God, the real God, the one who demonstrated his reality through the plagues in Egypt and through the exodus of the children of Israel and the establishment of the country, the nation of Israel, this God established a priesthood himself. This was a God-ordained priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, where the people functioned as representatives of the people before him. As a representative, their function or their purpose was to ensure that the people would follow the proper protocols in presenting their gifts and sacrifices in order to request atonement for their sins, to request some form of mercy. Now, this atonement that the people received was a covering over sins. It certainly did not take the sins away. It simply covered them up and said, well, we're going to cover them and so we don't see them right now. They are still there, but this is what we can do with what we have right now. And that was the role of the Levitical priests. And they were very suitable for this. They were very suitable for this purpose because they also committed sins. They also had sin in their lives. They also had weaknesses. They also struggled with temptations. And so they also would have to present sacrifices and offerings on their own behalf. And so they certainly could relate to the people in a very unique way, unique in comparison with many of the other priests throughout history with other faiths that have always tended to assert themselves as being special or unique, that they had found a way to overcome sins in their life, that they were holy people just in and of themselves. But the Levitical priests were quite unique in that they recognized that they had sins that they struggled with just as the people did. And so because of that, they were able to deal with the people in a very special way. They could connect with the people in a very unique way. But something that is very important to recognize that I find many people are just simply not aware of is that at no time did our God ever make the claim that through the sacrificial offerings or the gifts that they would present through the Levitical priesthood, he never made the claim that they would ever be able to draw near to their God through that. That there was no way that they could ever draw near to the Lord through their gifts and offerings. That that was not the means by which they could actually draw near to God. And what I mean by draw near to God I mean to say that they could never really know their God as a result of that. They may experience some form of a connection or some bond, perhaps, through doing what God declared. However, that did not mean that they would know their God. That would only mean that they responded to what the Lord demanded at that time. At no time did the Lord say that if a person was repentant or obedient if they were obedient to all of the commands that were given through Moses, that at that time they would draw near to God. He never made that claim either. In fact, as you go through the law, you can find that the only thing that he promised a person, if they were obedient to his commandments, if they were repentant of their sins, or if they would repent from their sins, the only thing he ever promised was that they would obtain many blessings, as described in Deuteronomy chapter 28, And all of these blessings have to do with providing 
people with an opportunity to indulge their flesh more, more flour in their kneading bowl. They would be able to lend and not borrow. All of these blessings that are described have to do with the condition of a person's flesh. But again, there was no opportunity for a person to actually draw near to their God. The Levitical priests, they had what was called an altar, and it was at the altar that people worshipped their God in this sense. And this, of course, has carried over into modern day, especially within many Christian churches and groups and temples and cathedrals, and virtually every one of these places, they have something that's referred to as an altar. And even though they may not explicitly call it an altar, many do call it an altar, it still exists or a position in the church building or a place somewhere there as part of the worship service is considered to be the holy place or the place where a person could go to or come down to in order to present themselves or to present an apology or a confession or a gift or something like that, that the Levitical priesthood still exists. The Levitical priesthood is still alive in its own special way. I prefer to call these groups Levitical light myself, but still they function in the same capacity. And just as those priesthoods back then, as the Levitical priesthood back then, did not provide any way for a person to draw near to God, so also today the priesthoods that exist today with their altars and with their temples, they do not provide a means by which people can draw near to God. And yet there are many people who do assert that belief, who claim that if you will spend time with them, that you will be drawn near to God, that they will help you draw near to God that through your gifts or your offerings you will be drawn near to God, or through your repentance from your sins, and they sincerely believe that their role in your life is to make sure that you are properly informed of all of those sins that you need to repent of, and the things that you need to obey, they are there to ensure that you are properly informed of those things that you are to do. So not only the things that you are not to do, but also those things that you are to do, and the advertisement is that if you will repent and obey, then you will be drawn near to God. And yet the Lord never made that promise through the Levitical priesthood. And yet today people assume that through these other priesthoods or pastorates or ministerial campaigns that perhaps we can do it now where we couldn't do it before. But either way, it's important to recognize that the Lord our God established the Levitical priesthood and he established the priesthood obviously for a different purpose than to draw people near to him. This is very important to realize that if he never claimed that people would be drawn near to him, then what was the purpose? Why would he have established the Levitical priesthood? Well, it's quite obvious if you understand the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to show us that we were in a condition that we needed the mercy of God. And it did that in various ways, in general, through stirring up more sin in our lives, either to identify those sins that we could never overcome, or to stir up some more sin in our lives. Paul expressed that very well with the subject of coveting, and he expressed that in many places in the letters that he wrote that describes the law as being something that stirs up sin. And I have spoken about this subject at length in various programs that I have done as well, such as in the programs I did on spiritual warfare, or keeping his commandments, or the Sabbath law. There are many ways that the law will actually stir up sin. 
And so if that's the case, then it is important to recognize that instead of drawing people near to God, the law effectively pushes people away further from God. That's the key point. And today, the exact same thing is happening, whereas people believe They believe that through their repentance and obedient lifestyles that they will be drawn near to God. But the truth of the matter is, is that they get pushed further and further away from God. Now, when are they ever going to recognize this? Well, if they were never close to God to begin with, then how are they going to recognize that they are further away from him because of the law? It's very difficult for people to recognize this because they don't know what it's like to be close to him. And so if they are further and further from him now than they were before, then they're not going to know any better. They're going to assume that they are at least on the right path. And this is how people normally justify it. They say, well, at least I'm on the right path. I'm I'm on my way. I'm almost there. One day things will just click and work and everything will be perfect at that point. That's what normally motivates people. And this can motivate people for many years before they finally stop and give up and realize that they are not getting close to the Lord, that they are not drawing near to him as a person. But instead, deep down inside, they become further and further away from him. And at best, they just build up some additional religious pride. That's the most that they can actually hope for through this kind of life pursuit. If that happens, if a person is fortunate enough to realize that that is what is happening with them, If they're fortunate, then they can turn away from that. But I find in most cases, people don't go that far. Normally, they just continue along this path of emptiness. And instead, they concede by saying, well, one day I'll go to heaven. And that will be the ultimate reality. But I got to tell you that you can be drawn near to your God now. And that is something that you can experience right now. That you do not have to wait to go to heaven to be close to your God that you have been called to him to begin to have a relationship with him today, not later on in the future, that you have eternal life right now, and it will carry you on into eternity, that's for sure, but you can experience eternal life right now and today. I believe that the Lord established the Levitical priesthood for the purpose of pushing people further away from him so that they would come to understand their total depravity and then be prepared to receive his mercy that he would provide through the next priest that he would establish once enough time was given for people to try out this other one. Once enough centuries went by, several hundred years would go by that people could practice with and try out the Levitical priesthood to eventually concede to the truth that there is no way that they can draw you near to the Lord, then there would be enough to go on, enough Evidence where the Lord could proclaim very clearly that there must be another way. And that other way was by establishing another priest that was completely separate from the Levitical priesthood, that had no place in the Levitical priesthood, that would never have any role in that priesthood, that was from a completely different tribe entirely. And that was the Lord Jesus. He declared the Lord Jesus to be a priest. But this is a very unique priest in comparison with a Levitical priesthood. This is not a priest who functions in such a way that he enables us to present our gifts and our sacrifices and our offerings before God, or in most cases our confessions or our apologies, which I personally believe fit in the same category. He does not exist as an intermediary in order to enable us to present something to God through him. 
That is not how this priest functions. But instead, this priest functions in a different way. He is the one who represents us. Yes, that is true. But in our depravity, he represents us to show that we have nothing to offer, that we have no offering to give, that we have no sacrifice that we can make, that we cannot commit to anything or dedicate anything within and of ourselves. But instead, we have to rely on what our God may give to us. And the Lord Jesus, he gave to our God what he had, not what we have, but what he had. And he gave that to our God, to the Heavenly Father, in exchange for us. And that was, of course, his very life himself. He gave himself as an offering on our behalf. In Hebrews chapter 5, The writer speaks of this, beginning in verse 1. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1, it says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God, in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. This is referring to a high priest who is appointed on behalf of the people. That's true, but he is appointed by God himself because of the way that God established the Levitical priesthood. In verse 2 it says, He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided, since he himself also is beset with weakness. In other words, he can definitely relate to us on our level, and I do believe that the Lord Jesus can also relate to us on this level as well. That was what was described in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, where it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. In verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. And so the Lord Jesus is not a priest who cannot relate to us like the other priests could. He definitely is. This does not mean in chapter 5 that there is a distinction between Jesus and the other priests, because he can relate to us, not because of our weaknesses, but because he did struggle with the same temptations or similar temptations. And then in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 3, And because of it he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins as for the people, so also for himself. And no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest, but He who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Just as he says also in another passage, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death and he was heard because of his piety. In other words, the Lord Jesus, as a priest, he did give offerings, but it was his prayers, it was his supplications, that he would be delivered from the death that he was about ready to experience on our behalf, and he was heard. And then in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered, and I will come back to that. In verse 9, and having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And so for those who will obey the Lord Jesus, as the people once obeyed the high priest of the Levitical priesthood, 
and obeyed the Levitical priesthood and obeyed the laws that the Levitical priesthood was responsible for enforcing. For those who will obey the Lord Jesus, they can be saved because those who obey him, he is the source of eternal salvation for them. Those who obeyed the Levitical priesthood or the high priest of the Levitical priesthood were not going to receive eternal salvation. They could not provide that. They could not be the source of that. If you go through the law, there is no place where it is written that through your repentance or obedience you would have eternal salvation. In fact, if you were to obey all of the commandments, every one of them perfectly and never sin, you still would not receive eternal salvation because there was no opportunity to receive eternal salvation. The Levitical priesthood did not have that authority and God never made that promise. This is unique. Through the Lord Jesus, we can receive eternal salvation. This is why our God had to present another priest for another priesthood that was completely separate from the Levitical priesthood because the Levitical priesthood was not set up for the purpose of being the source of eternal salvation. It was set up for the purpose of demonstrating to us that we could not receive eternal salvation, that it was not possible That was the purpose of one priesthood, and so he had to set up another priesthood completely separate, totally separate from the other one, a new priest, a new priesthood, in order to deal with a new issue, to deal with this new concern, that of eternal salvation. And the Lord Jesus was made perfect. He was made perfect in various ways. First of all, of course, he never sinned as was described in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It is written that he did never sin, and so he was perfect in that context. He was also perfect in the sense that he was the perfect offering or the perfect sacrifice, that he was sinless and he was without blemish, and so he was presented on behalf of the entire world in order to resolve the sin issue between man and God as a whole. And so in that context as well, He was made perfect through the things which he suffered. However, it's important to recognize that he was established by God, and it is written that he was described as a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Well, the Melchizedek priesthood was not really a priesthood in the same way that the Levitical priesthood was a priesthood. The Melchizedek priesthood is actually best understood by translating that word Melchizedek Melchizedek is actually a transliteration. It's not really a translation. If you translate the word, then it's much easier, I believe, to understand the intent that the Lord had by saying this. The translation is the king of righteousness, the Melech Tzaddik, that he is the king of righteousness. And so if he is the king of righteousness and he is a high priest in accordance with the king of righteousness, then it has to do with the person who is righteous, first of all, and he is also the person who has the ability to give to others the righteousness of God, or in this case we understand it as the righteousness of Christ, that he is able to give to us freely without any cost because he is able to give that to us freely because of what he has done for us. He died for all of our sins, and so because of that, he is able to give us his righteousness that he has. He is the only one who has any righteousness, and so he is able to give that to us freely because the sin issue between us and our God was completely resolved through the act that he performed on the cross. 
That's what it means to be a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, the king of righteousness. I personally believe that that is what he was intending to say. And also the fact that this is something that has existed throughout the course of history, that it existed before the Levitical priesthood, that throughout history the Lord has always looked at people in this context, looked at people understanding that there was no way that they could ever have eternal life unless he gave that to them. And that the Levitical priesthood that would be set up in the meantime for the purpose of demonstrating that we were certainly in a situation where we needed his grace and mercy, that was set up in the meantime. But throughout the entire course of history, he has always looked upon people with that consideration that if a person recognized that there was no way that they could possibly enter into the kingdom of heaven, Outside of his grace and mercy, I personally believe that he would have been the king of righteousness for them as well. That this is a message, that this is a gospel message that can certainly be applicable throughout the course of history. The exception, of course, being that before the cross, people would have to rely on what he was going to do in the future. But today, after the cross, we can now rely on what he already accomplished in the past. That would be certainly different in that context. But still the result is still the same, and that is that if a person will acknowledge that they have no hope of entering the kingdom of heaven outside of his grace and mercy, then they won't make it. But they will make it if they acknowledge that truth, and in their hearts they recognize that they do truly need his grace and mercy. I personally believe that he will grant that based on the evidence that I see throughout the scriptures in other places and based on my understanding of the character of our God. But considering again Hebrews chapter 5 verse 9 where it says, And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. What does that mean then to obey him? Because all of the commandments that he gave during his ministry were the same commandments that were given through Moses through the Levitical priesthood. What is the difference here? What is the uniqueness here? Well, I believe that the difference is described at the end of Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 18, where it says, And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. And what was their unbelief? That they did not believe in what the Lord had given them. So also our disobedience is not believing in what the Lord is giving to us because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. But I am out of time in this program, and so I will explain this more in the next broadcast. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net